You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Will you stand with me for the reading of the gospel? Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called Place of the Skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from the King of the Jews to, he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe because it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here's your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and released his spirit. You may have a seat. We've been going to places where Jesus went, and today we dare to come to the cross. The cross has a universal appeal to it. The cross has a way of of working its way into all kinds of art and all kinds of literature and all kinds of movies and rice, the famed writer of vampire chronicle novels talks about it in her agnostic years. She could not ever escape the reality 
of the cross. The cross is also an historical event. Somewhere around the year 30, they took him outside the city to the place of the skull and they crucified him. It is a time where Roman soldiers wounded him. It is a time when the Jewish leaders mocked him. It is when many people on that good, on that good day called Palm Sunday turned against him. And yet it was also the day where he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And there's also a sense, friends, that the cross is personal. There's a cross for you, and there's a cross for me. And what happens to Jesus must also happen to us. Yes, the cross of Jesus Christ is my entrance into the kingdom. The cross of Jesus Christ was for my salvation. But the gospel does not end there. The gospel is also about what Christ does in me. And as Jesus dies on the cross, I too must die to myself. As Jesus dies a physical death, you and I will too die a physical death. What happens to Jesus must happen to us. It happens in nature. A seed falls to the ground and dies before it produces fruit. A worm formulates its own cocoon around itself before it can emerge as a butterfly. In the scriptures, people have to die and emerge to new life. It happens to Joseph in the Old Testament story where he's thrown into a well by his brothers. And then he emerges into the kind of person that God can really use. It happens to Jeremiah. He's thrown into a cistern after preaching the word of God. And then he emerges with a deeper, richer faith. It happens to Jonah, who's running from God. That story about Jonah being swallowed by a big fish. But who's got the fish? Who's got the cistern? Who's got the well? Who's got us when you and I are in the pits, when you are and I are in that process of dying and stop running from God? Who's got us? The hands of God have got us. And so friends, the cross of Jesus is not just an historical event. It's not just something that happened to Jesus. It is something that also must happen to us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great Christian martyr and author and writer of the 20th century, martyred by the Nazis at the end of World War II, said that when Christ bids a man to come to him, he bids him to come and die. When Christ bids and invites people to come to him, there's something in us that has to die. So what dies? <laughs> 
What dies? The false self dies. The things that are pretentious in our life, that part of us that is controlling and manipulative, that that part of us that is so pretentious and is all about the accumulation of things, where we get our identity and what we possess and our titles, that self-protectiveness that is all about defending ourselves and looking out after number one and not caring what happens to other people. It's the justifying self that will not take responsibility for our own actions. It's the manipulative self where we try to think that we are in control and we work out people for our own agendas. It's the religious false self, the worst of all, that is harsh and rigid trying to work our way to earn God's favor through our religious acts, those things must die. Not our true self, not who we are into eternity, but the things that have been so pretentious and contentious in our life. All that has to die. And the false self does not come to the cross willingly or easily, nor do these things die quickly. And so this morning, we're just going to go back to the scenes of Jesus on the cross, knowing that we really do go with him there too. Knowing that what happens to Jesus also must happen to us. We begin with the inscription that that Pilate put above the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It's as if Pilate wanted the world to know, writing it in three languages. But the religious leaders, no, don't write that. Just that he claimed to be. And in his life and in his death, the religious leaders did not claim Jesus as their king. And you and I also come to that point when we look at the stark reality of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, we also decide, are we going to accept his claim upon our life or not? What has to die? What has to die in us but, but the false self? We have to put to death those things that get in the way of our relationship with Christ. The, the Apostle Paul writes so eloquently and so straight about this to the, in his letter to the Colossians. So he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature your sexual immorality, your impurity, your lust, your evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Notice, the wrath of God, the anger of God is not on us. It's not directed against us, our true self. It's directed against those things that are false and pretentious in our life that is so self-destructive. As a loving parent, God gets angry against those things. And he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. 
But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've, been, you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You've put off the old self. You're saying, I'm done with that. That's dead and buried. And now I consider myself dead to those things, that I might be alive to God, which is being renewed in the knowledge, that personal relationship with Christ, in the knowledge of the image of its creator. And so we come to the cross claiming Jesus, yes, as our king. Yes, as our Lord. The next scene we come to in the cross is where they gamble over his clothing. They tear up his garments. They keep the robe, which is the most uh, expensive and valuable thing Jesus has. They, They throw dice over that one. It's striking that what happens to Jesus also must happen to us. They strip the garments off of him and he becomes naked. And all that he truly is, is left there. My mother is 96 years of age. She has dementia. And three weeks ago this Tuesday, she fell and broke her hip. So her leaving, her departure from this world has begun. But it's a very difficult journey. And what I have seen that happens to my mother, I'm realizing is also going to happen to me physically. Ten years ago, we moved our mother from her home to an apartment. And five years ago, through medical processes and difficulty and dementia, we moved her to her room. And so a week ago, I joined my brother and my nephew as we removed all her things. And her life is reduced to a half of a nursing care room with none of her furniture. Only her possessions are what fits into the half of a closet in the room. And what's stripped away is what is left. Friends, all the things that we work for all the things that we possess, all the things that we worry about, as well as our titles and our certificates and our degrees and our accomplishments, it's all going to be stripped away. And nothing will be left. None of that will we take with us into eternity. And so in this work, in this reality of the cross, we see what's most important. In the next scene we come to, we find that Jesus is hung there between two others. Two others are crucified with him. John doesn't go into the details. We know the other two are criminals, are thieves. And they both uh, rile against Jesus. And so the malice of the false self, the anger of the false self, the protectiveness of the false self, asking Jesus to save them as well as himself, all that is coming through these two people that are hanging there with him. But something happens to one of them. Jesus gets to one of them. For when one of them 
begins to see who he really is in the light of Jesus and calls for his mercy and his grace. As we come to the cross this morning, there's the false self in each of us. Have you allowed the false self to die? Have you called it to quiet down? Or is it still very much controlling your life? For when Jesus calls a person to follow him, he calls them to come and die. And death does not come easy. The next scene that we come to is a very touching scene of Jesus with his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John. You know, at the end of our life, it's not the accomplishments, it's not the possessions, it's not the work. What really matters is the significant relationships that we have. I love the way that the new members that were becoming part of this body of Christ that stood before us this morning earlier in this service talked about how that they, they got plugged into this group or this relationship, people that they will know from the youth on through. What happens in our life that's most important are the significant relationships that we share. It's when we're in trouble. It's when that life is difficult. It's, it's who shows up that we know who's really important in our life. Who can we entrust ourselves to? That's the relationships we take with us into eternity. And Jesus has a few who stay with him and come to the, and join him in those final hours as he dies on the cross. He's able to entrust his mother to the care of his brother, his disciple, his friend, John. That's what's most important. And that's what all that really matters. And then we come to the scene where Jesus at the end says, I am thirsty. And they say they, the scripture says they took a sponge of sopped in wine and they placed it to his mouth. I like to think that, uh, again, something about being near to Jesus brought compassion and kindness even to uh, a soldier's heart that had earlier brutally crucified him. When my mother faced surgery uh, two and a half weeks ago, the medical doctor that did her surgery had just come out of a five-hour surgery. It was 8.30 at night. He had worked hard all day long. But he said, I'm going to operate on your mother just like she was my mother. God bless every person in medical care that treats their patients like that. And Jesus said, whoever gives a cup of cold water to a child, it won't be forgotten. Jesus said, whoever does this for the least of these, do it for me.
And we have been there, or we, we, we will be there, where the loved one's parched mouth needs to be swabbed by someone that loves them. But Jesus loves them all. And then he says, it is finished. And he dies. My mother, when we moved her to her skilled nursing unit 10 days ago, there were two pictures that I wanted to make sure I brought into the room. I brought a picture of her when she was 25 years of age. You don't ever look better than you were when you were 25. (laughs) Some of you are there. Enjoy it. (laughs) She was beautiful. And I brought the 50th wedding anniversary of mom and dad's picture. Why did I do that? I wanted those who care for her to know. I wanted them to know who it is that they're caring for. I want them to know that she is beautiful. And I showed these pictures to my mom, and she recognized herself. I I think there's something about this. We recognize and we see ourselves in our relationship with Christ. But I didn't want mom just to know who she was. I wanted mom to know whose she was. And so there I am sitting helpless with my mother in agony and pain in a wheelchair, crying out, fearful, and knowing nothing of what to do. And so I go back to the default thing I always do when I know nothing else to do, but I sing her her favorite song in the garden. And as I sing the song and the lyrics come to mind, and he walks with us and he talks with us and he tells us that we are his own and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And mom begins to sing the song with me. And as we sing about hearing the voice of Jesus, I say, Mom, do you hear Jesus speaking to you? Do you hear Jesus calling your name? No, but if you hear him calling your name, come to him. Come to him. And she says, well, I'm afraid to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to leave you. And I said, well, you know, the angels will be coming for you. When the angels come for you, Join them. Go with them. There's people that are waiting for you. So be listening for his voice. Mom, when Jesus calls your name, go to him. When Jesus cries from the cross, it is finished. It's not a cry of dereliction. It's not, it's not fatalism. Jesus is saying, I've, I've completed the work Mission fulfilled, accomplished, is done. 
as he gives his heart and his spirit to God. That's Jesus. And through the cross of Jesus, nothing we face in this world has to be fatalistic or hopeless. But Jesus, through his cross, has accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. And it's through that great gift that we have eternal life. And Jesus tells us what eternal life is. He prays it the night before he dies. This is eternal life as he looks up to the Father that people may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So friends, what happens to Jesus must happen to us. The physical death of Jesus was the most excruciating of all. Yet we too will face our death. But what Jesus dies to and submitting to fully to the will of God always and perfectly in his life, you and I also too must come to Jesus and die. Die to those things that take life from us. Die to all that's pretentious and manipulative and controlling anything that gets in the way of our relationship with Christ. Consider those things dead to you, that you might come alive to Christ.